Welcome to episode number four of Shawzy 24-7, talking historic preservation today. Welcome to the Shawzy 24-7 podcast, talking real estate, title insurance, development, business, and all things Philly. Now let's welcome in your host, Mark Shaw. Mark Shaw. And welcome back to another episode of Shawzy 24-7 where you will hear discussions about some of the many things in business that I deal with on a daily basis. The goal is to bring you insight from industry experts from all angles of the real estate and title insurance industries, as well as my favorite, all things Philly. So I've been a part of many historic preservation projects, and unfortunately, for the first several, our team did not take full advantage of the many tax programs that are available for such projects. The truth is that there is no project that's too small or too large when it comes to the historical preservation programs. If you are in the business of renovating older buildings or adaptive reuse projects, the next 30 minutes can prove to be very valuable to you and your team. Over the last couple of years, I have been very fortunate to work with Robert Powers, who is the president of Powers & Company. They are a national consulting firm specializing in the preservation and conservation of historic structures. Powers & Company was formed in 1995. The firm consists of a full-service professional team whose work has been recognized by the Urban Land Institute, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, the American Institute of Architects, the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission, and the Preservation Alliance for Greater Philadelphia. With over 30 years of diverse experience on projects throughout the United States, Mr. Powers is a national expert on the interpretation and application of the Secretary of the Interior Standards for Rehabilitation and Historic Preservation Tax Incentives. Powers oversaw the preservation of the U.S. Postal Office main branch at 30th Street, as well as PSFS, both buildings in Philadelphia, of course. Mr. Powers consulted and supervised on the interior restoration of the Pennsylvania State Capitol building. And in addition, Mr. Powers has consulted on such notable preservation projects, uh, including the Los Angeles City Hall and the headquarters of Urban Outfitters and the Philadelphia Naval Business Center. Prior to establishing his own firm, Mr. Powers, for 12 years, honed his skills at the National Park Service, administering the Federal Historic Preservation Tax Incentive Program for projects within 17 states. Bob has written and contributed on a plethora of historic preservation articles and writings and has been the recipient of way too many words to list here today. But very excited here to talk historic preservation today with Bob Powers. Bob Powers, thanks for joining us here on Shawzy 24-7. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here today. Uh, We're going to talk about some historical tax credits. I know... uh, it's an interesting topic for many. Uh, it's a topic that most people don't really understand. There's a lot of real estate investing going on over the last several years, and people haven't taken, taken advantage of the program. And I know myself included, we didn't really know about the program until the last couple years, and we're pretty sorry that we weren't taking advantage of it back in the day. Right. And we're going to dive right into it, and we're going to talk about historical tax credits and how they're used and who uses them and, you know, the background of them. Uh, so before we really dive too much into specifics, give me a little bit of a general background, what historical tax credits are, the preservation credits, and how, they, how they're applied. Sure. Well, the historic tax credits uh, program has been around since 1976. Um, in the early 1980s, 
when more people became familiar with the program. Um, in the early 80s, it was a 25% tax credit for rehabilitating uh, historic properties. 1986, there was a major tax reform which reduced the credit from 25% down to a 20% credit, which is what has been in place up until this past uh, December when there's been new legislation which has kept the 20% tax credit but has provided some other changes to how the program works. So it has been a program that's been around for 30, 40 or some odd years um, and it has rehabilitated hundreds and thousands of buildings uh, have been a major tool in rehabilitating these buildings uh, throughout the country. Uh, it is a federal program, so it is a program that can be used uh, on projects throughout the different states. It's implemented by individual states, but uh, again, you could, you could work on a project in Pennsylvania, or Florida, or Ohio, uh, the same programs, the same rules apply to programs, uh, buildings throughout, throughout the different states. So it's a, it's a great program to revitalize historic buildings that are uh, underutilized within, within the different communities. Bob, when can a taxpayer claim a rehabilitation credit? When does it actually exist? Yeah. So what, the way it works is that there is a 20% there is tax credit for all expenses related to the construction of that, uh, of that property. The rehabilitation does not include the, the, the purchase price of the property. The credit is typically claimed at the time of completion of the project. Typically when you have a certificate of occupancy for the completed project. So at that time, you can take your 20% credit for those expenses. And what are some of the common obstacles if somebody felt that, hey, you know, this property I'm about to renovate, this really should apply here. What are some of the common obstacles that they should suspect that they're going to have to go sure. through? Sure. So the initial, initially, the building has to be certified as historic. So that means that the building has to be within a registered national within a registered National Register of Historic Places district or has to be individually listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And what you need to be aware of is even though a building may be locally designated, many communities have local designations, that doesn't apply to the national designation. It's only those buildings that are nationally designated that can take advantage of this credit. So many communities have you know, very large historic districts where if you're a contributing member to that historic district, you could be eligible for the tax credits. So um, first, the building has to be certified as historic, and then the building, all, the rehabilitation itself has got to be approved by the state preservation office. Uh, each state has a preservation office that reviews the projects. And then also the National Park Service in Washington, D.C. will ultimately have the final say as to whether or not they they feel as if the rehabilitation meets standards that they set for the rehabilitations. So you've got to, you've got to, there are a number of, there's a number of uh, hurdles that you've got to get over to be able to get, uh, take advantage of the tax credits. So there are, there are many things you need to take a look at. And, um, and it, it, it is a process that you need to go through. How long does that process take usually? Well, the, the review process is actually pretty quick for a, for a federal program. Typically, the review process is 30 days at the state office and 30 days at the National Park Service, give or take. You know, a week here, a week there, as long as um, uh, nobody's on vacation at the state office or the park service. Typically, you're looking at those 30 and 30, 60 days uh, for the review process. Okay, can you discuss for a quick minute the difference between, I, I know 
for instance, where you're located in the city of Philadelphia, um, there's the Historical Preservation Alliance, um, and they do what is essentially considered a facade easement. Mm -hmm. Can you distinguish the two and, and when somebody would apply for the program that you consult on versus a facade easement? Right. So facade easement is a completely different program that is typically administered by a 501c3 program, uh, either within your community or within your general area that can accept an easement on, on the property. And the, ease, the way the easement works is that it's in, in effect the delta between the value of a property prior to the designation of the easement and um, the time of the easement. So whatever that delta is, is typically what the easement is worth. But the easement is in perpetuity, in other, so you are committed to preserving that building, the facade of the building, or the, whatever, the, whatever the easement includes in perpetuity. So you have to be uh, aware of that. <clears throat> now, the easement is, a, as I said, is a separate program from the tax credit program. And typically, you're going to either want to take the easement prior to the start of your tax credit program or after the completion of the project, because um, one of the rules of the historic tax credit program is that you have to maintain ownership of the property for a period of five years after the completion of the project. And do donating the easement within that five-year window would be viewed as a, as a changing of the ownership. So you need to be aware of when you want to donate that easement. So you have to be aware of that five-year window um, to be uh, make sure you don't uh, get caught in a bind with the IRS. Right. What? What? A, let's go back to the actual process and how the credits are applied. Give me some examples of some renovations to a property that would not qualify for a rehab credit. Sure. So again, building has to be certified as being historic. So that there's a process, um, the app, there's an application process, it's called the part one application. That part one application certifies that the building is in fact historic, that it's located within a registered National Register Historic District, or that the building is individually listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So that's the part one. Um, so you need to go through that process and have the building certified as being historic. The second part is to have the rehabilitation itself approved, and there's a Part 2 application, and that application involves uh, completing uh, drawings of the existing and the proposed conditions of the building, uh, taking photographs of the building, having photographs of the building prior to the start of rehabilitation, and that's a really important uh, point, is that you have to make sure you have good photographic documentation of the property prior to the commencement of construction to show the condition of the property uh, before any work started. So you need to include those photographs along with drawings of the building and a full narrative of what is happening as part of the rehabilitation on both the interior and the exterior of the building. A lot of times people think, oh, I just need to worry about the exterior of the building, but no, they're giving you a historic tax credit on the entire building so you want to make sure that it is, you know, be aware of the fact that it is, does include interior features as well as the exterior. So that's the part two. Again, all this information goes to the State Preservation Office and the National Park Service, 30 days at the State Office, 30 days at the Park Service for their reviews. And then you uh, receive a letter back from them saying the project meets this, their standards and they, uh, you are 
approved on a conditional basis of the part two because the final approval doesn't take place until the project is actually completed. So you move forward with the rehabilitation as per your part two uh, application. When the project is completed, you go back in, photograph the building, and you uh, uh, submit those photographs to the State Preservation Office and the National Park Service for final approval. And again, 30 days at the state, 30 days at the Park Service. So that's the process for, for going through the historic tax credit. I'm hoping, Bob, that the, uh, that the fire engines aren't going to a historical building here. Well, that may open up some possibilities for historic tax credits for rehabilitation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about some examples of, of exp expenses, um, like, let's say, fencing, decks, cabinets, appliances. Mm -hmm. These are obviously expenses that do not qualify, correct? Right. I mean, credits are available to all construction-related expenses that take place within the footprint of the building. So even, you know, environmental cleanup, um, new material, like new walls, whatever, whatever takes place within that footprint is an, el is an eligible cost. The, all of those hard costs. In addition to the hard costs, um, soft costs are available as well. Any soft costs related to the construction activity. So architect's fees, consultant fees, um, lawyer fees associated with the construction would be eligible expenses. Um, even something as such as construction loan interest would be an eligible expense. So again, th those are within the, within the footprint of the building, all of those expenses. Outside of the building, landscaping, site work, those would not be expenses that would be eligible for, for the tax credits. So things like chimneys and stairs and escalators, elevators, sprinkler systems, yep. these are all qualified. Absolutely. Expenses. Anything that, again, any related construction activity within, within the building um, would be an eligible expense. Now, if you are, say, for instance, you're renovating for apartments, things such as um, kitchen appliances, items that can readily be removed from the building would not be an eligible expense. So it has to be something that would be a permanent installation within the, within the interior of the building. I know one of the um, problems that my group has run into in the past are things that really are, they're on, they can't be preserved. I mean, they're at the point where they're beyond preservation and they're so, they're so dilapidated. And in those situations, from what I recall, the preference is to make it the way it was and put the molding back to the way that it was or the type of stone that was there, so and so forth. Can you elaborate in terms of like how someone, you know, because the construction costs are oftentimes very high in order to um, meet the historical standards at times. Right. Can you discuss that for a second? Yeah. So there's always that balance between how far one goes in terms of renovating the building. The Historic Tax Credit Program is, is, is a rehabilitation program. And by rehabilitation, that means that the building is going to change. It implies change is happening to the building. So the question becomes, how far does that change uh, happen that is also going to meet the standards for the Park Service? So if there is an element that is deteriorated, the, the, the preference of the Park Service would be that it would be retained and repaired if at all possible. Now, if it can't be retained or repaired, they would like you to sort of either replace it in kind or replace it with an alternative material that appears similar to what, what's, what is there. So 
you have to go sort of room by room to sort of figure out how to approach different situations as, as they occur. Um, but again, there, you have to find that balance as to well, where do you go, how far do you take the rehabilitation piece, and how far do you take the restoration piece to be able to work with your project. There's probably a lot of investors out there that are starting on a project and you know, they're not sure if it, if it qualifies, but at the same time, they're already, let's say, halfway through. You know, the, the term um, uh, in service, if the property's in service, I know that you use this a lot. If a property is in service already, you obviously can't go through the process. But what if a property's already going through the renovation and you haven't seen it, your team hasn't seen it? What is someone, what are they faced with? Yeah, well, you could still take advantage of the credits if the project has not been finalized and placed in service. So uh, say you're halfway through a project and you say, oh my goodness, this is a program that's available. I wasn't aware of it. Let me see if I can take advantage of the credits. You still could as long as you, number one, have good photographic documentation of the property prior to the commencement of the construction on both the interior and the exterior. That's really a key piece because so many projects get denied due to lack of good photographic documentation. So you have to have that documentation. And then secondly, you've got a, the building can't be placed in service yet. The building has to still be uh, still working on the building and has not been finalized. And then also, whatever you're doing has got to meet the standards of the National Park Service. Now, there are 10 standards that the Park Service has. Uh, for evaluating projects. They're called the Standards for Rehabilitation. Uh, and they're very general in terms of largely retaining what's there and preserving what's there. But those are all available on the, on the NPS website uh, if you wanted to review and sort of see how, how those standards would apply to your particular project. Can you talk about what in-service means? Like I'm assuming that in-service means that people are living there, people are renting the place, or it's actually being utilized. Right. And typically... It goes with receiving a certificate of occupancy for a project, whether or not you can you actually have people starting to live there. Now, if you have a temporary certificate of occupancy, is that a final project and you still have work going on? Not necessarily, but you can, you can it's usually a certificate of occupancy will, will determine the place and the service date. Can, can a taxpayer claim the rehab tax credits without receiving actual final approval from the National Park Service? Typically, the credits are the, the credits are taken at the time of completion of the project, and that is that is the the usual rule. Now, if you are if, say it's a very a large project and uh, you are not going to be taking the credits yourself, there is the option of syndicating the credits to another to a potential purchaser, and in that case, a purchaser of the credits may be willing to invest a certain amount of money into the project at the receipt of an approved part two application from the National Park Service. Now, whether it's, you know, really depends on the individual project, but whether it's 40%, 50%, 60% of the value of the credit, uh, it's to be, you know, it's to be, to be determined. But that is another way of getting equity into a project um, at a relatively early date. By essentially selling the credits. Selling the credits to a, to a, to another to another entity who is interested in the credits, correct? And that entity would probably have to become some sort of um, you know minority owner. There has to be an ownership ownership piece with that new new entity. That's right. All right, let's talk about uh, politics for a second. Uh, not real politics. We don't want to you know 
have any arguments here. I don't, I don't know what your political <laughs> beliefs are. And, um, uh, but let's talk about how politics has affected the, um, the tax credit program. Obviously, the program came into B, you mentioned, 1976, during mm-hmm. the bicentennial year. Um, talk about that and how it's essentially changed over the years. Right. So it started in the, in, in the mid-70s, 1976, and it has grown to the, the program it is today. Now, in the 70s, the program really wasn't very well known, and not a whole lot of people were taking advantage of the credits. Uh, in the early 80s, it really took off. Actually, I, I was working at the National Park Service in 1983 reviewing tax credit projects, and it was, it was a real boom time for those, for those credits. In 1986 was the first tax reform uh, for the credits, and that was part of the Greater Tax Reform Act of 1986. There was quite a bit of discussion about whether or not the tax credit program would even survive that program, or that, that tax reform effort. It did survive, although it was reduced from the 20, a 25% credit, which is where it was prior to 1986, to a 20% credit. So there were, was a change in the program, but it's continued to move forward with the 20% credit. And at that point, Ronald Reagan was actually a, a, quite an advocate for the retention of the credit, and there's a great video clip of him advocating for its retention and uh, talking about the value of the credit for revitalizing communities throughout the country. So it's, it's actually a very inter- interesting, an interesting clip. So from 1986 until 2017, the tax credit program remained at the typical 20, at the 20% level. Um, and again, there was a lot of debate this past year in 2017 about the retention of the credit as part of the greater tax reform effort. Um, the initial proposal by the House of Representatives eliminated the tax credit program completely. Um, and the initial Senate program reduced it down to a 10% credit, which would have made it relatively useless to many people. Um, Senator Cassidy from Louisiana was the uh, lead senator who brought the tax credit back to 20%, advocated for the 20% retention of the credit, 20% program, and did offer an amendment that brought the credit back to 20%. However, the one major change that did come about with this most recent effort was that previously, the tax credit could be taken 100% at the time of completion of the project. With the current, the new uh, Tax Reform Act, it now, this year you're talking about? Yes. As of 2018, you have to take the credit over a five-year period upon completion. So you take 20% for five, 20% for five years. Um, now, if you did own your property prior to 2017, the end of 2017, 12-31-17, and you do, there is initiation of the project in June of this year, and this, again, these are still being worked out in final legislative actions, you might be able to take advantage of the credit, 100% of the credit um, at the time of completion. But that's still very much in flux as to exactly where that program and where the requirements are going to end up. And I'm guessing that any renovation project that is ongoing uh, as of 2017 is already grandfathered in where they can take the credits upon completion. Correct, correct. It's more as it relates to projects that are getting underway in 2018 and beyond. So, 
can can we talk about for a second the twenty percent versus ten percent, twenty five percent, twenty percent of what? Let's talk about of what? Twenty percent of the expenses that are pertaining to the preservation. Right, twenty percent of all hard and soft costs related to the construction activity of the building, as long as that activity takes place within the footprint of the building. So it's twenty percent of all those costs. So if you know, boiling it down to numbers for <clears throat> sorry. For a uh, listener, you've got, if you spend a million dollars, 20% of that is $200,000. $200,000 tax credits is a dollar for dollar tax credit towards your federal income tax. Correct. Yeah. It's, and that's important to, to note that it is a credit versus a deduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, looking at the facade easement program, that is a deduction program versus the tax credit program is the actual credit program as a charitable donation versus an actual tax credit. That's right. Got it. Um, Let's talk about some of the most interesting projects. You know, we're sitting here in Bob's office and I'm looking at some pictures and I think I recognize a a few of the, um, the the moldings on the, on the side here that the listeners can't see a ghost looking figure that's molded into a building. I think I know where that is, but I'm not. Firehouse on Arch Street. Yeah. I, 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 so let's talk about um, you know some of the really interesting projects that you've worked on o- over the years. I know that you're you're really all over the country when it comes to historical properties, and um, you know talk about some of them. Yeah, that's what's great about this profession is that we get to see some really interesting buildings um, in sometimes not such a great state, but um, you know that there's potential for the rehabilitation of the buildings and. and have a vision as to how they ultimately will will end up. But yeah, we've worked on projects, as, as Marcus said, throughout the country, um, projects here in Philadelphia. For instance, some really exciting projects we've worked on was at the, down at the Philadelphia Navy Yard, which was the old Philadelphia Naval Base, uh, where Urban Outfitters has taken a number of properties that were these large industrial buildings and converted them into their headquarters buildings, which has been a really interesting um, projects to work on because it's a, a perfect use of the buildings and the way that urban urban adapts the buildings to their use. So we've worked on a number of their buildings that, that have been great. Also here in Philadelphia, one of the landmark properties, the, the PSFS building um, on Market Street, which is a landmark international style high-rise building, was converted into a, into a Lowe's hotel. Fascinating conversion, fascinating building. But we're also working on, on projects in, out in Hollywood, out in California, some old uh, apartment buildings out there, which are really um, sort of time warps uh, from, from the early 20th century. Uh, worked on projects in Baltimore, Richmond. And so we, we keep busy by looking at these buildings. But what we love to do is to go into a building, and many of them, as I said, are kind of these time warps where they haven't been disturbed for 50, 60, 75 years. Um, there's a Hyde building here in Philadelphia where the upper floors were really hadn't been used in 50, 60, 70 years. It still had um, corner sinks and uh, cabinets and these boardrooms that really were, were really right out of the 1930s and 40s. So really interesting, interesting projects uh, from that perspective. I'm thinking um, to myself and some of the projects that we worked on that are not quite as interesting. And you know, I just want to make sure that people understand that the property itself doesn't need to be very interesting. It needs to be historic. <laughs> right. So, exactly. You know, like, and, and speaking of interesting, also the, the cost basis, like the amount of renovations that you're doing, it really does, it, it doesn't have to do with the amount of renovation. You can have a smaller project 
and still apply. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and you're, you're right, because we, we're now working on a lot of buildings that were, that were built in the 1960s that are considered historic. So just because you have a building that you don't think it has to be a 19th century building to apply, the buildings that are in the 1960s now are 50 plus years old, which is the, the usual time the requirement for a building to be listed on the National Register. So your 1960s mid-century modern buildings would certainly be eligible for the credits. Um, and one other thing that you know Mark brings up, one of the other requirements for the program is that you've got to meet what they call the substantial rehab basis test for the property where in effect you have to spend as much on the rehabilitation as you did on the acquisition of the property if it's a recent acquisition. That acquisition minus the cost of the land. So the goal is that you are going to be doing a major rehabilitation and not just refinishing the floors or putting in a new kitchen or something to that effect. They want to make sure that you do a comprehensive, uh, comprehensive work throughout the project. You know, Bob, in thinking about it, you know, we're located in Philadelphia and there's a lot of history in Philadelphia. You know, just recently, uh, even pop, in pop culture, I mean, the Sixers just changed their logo to embrace the old um, Ben Franklin, join or die uh, quote, where you get all the colonies together and fight to um, revolt against uh, the British. There's, there's a lot of history here. Is there a reason why you're located in Philadelphia versus another area or is, or is this basically the credits are utilized everywhere? Well, Philadelphia is a great place to, act, to be based. Um, being on the northeast corridor between New York and Washington, there's certainly plenty of opportunities to, to work uh, in each of those locations. But um, I started off uh, in Philadelphia, moving here from New York City to work for the National Park Service, working with the historic tax credits and reviewing historic tax credit projects when the National Park Service had regional offices in Philadelphia as well as other locations throughout the country. So I started my uh, historic preservation work here in Philadelphia back in 1983. So I've been here for a while and it's, it's sort of a, a logical place to be having historic preservation based consulting firm just because of its proximity as I, as I mentioned along the Northeast Corridor but also there, there is a, a plethora of historic buildings here in Philadelphia and the surrounding surrounding area. So plenty of buildings to choose from. And we are fortunate to, to be here at the right time when Philadelphia was, was undergoing a tremendous amount of, uh, of renovation work and, and a revitalization, and certainly in the center city area. So we were able to um, take advantage of working on a number of the properties that are being, being renovated at that time. So it was a good time to be here and it worked, it worked, worked quite well for us. Talk about it for a second about, you know, what's happened over the last five years in Philly. I mean, it's, you know, I've lived in center city now for roughly 15 years and it's really amazing that how the city's changed. Yeah. I mean, we've worked on a lot of older office buildings that have been converted into residential properties uh, with restaurants and, and really has made Center City to be a, be a real 24, 24 7 uh, community where people are out on the streets and there's a lot of, lot of, lot of buzz and a lot of happening in, in the downtown area. So it's, it's been great to see that transition. It's also, it's also interesting, we're, we're currently doing a number of projects in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh is undergoing the same type of renaissance that we saw here in Philadelphia for the last 15, 10 or 15 years. 
Um, and it's exciting to see Pittsburgh and the downtown Pittsburgh to be undergoing that kind of renaissance as well. As long as the Steelers don't win another Super Bowl. <laughs> That's right. Well, we, we've got a leg up on them just for this current season. Yeah, but, but not in hockey. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't good. We'll, we'll be back next year. Okay. Awesome stuff, Bob. You know, this has been great. I, I've actually learned a lot about historical tax credits my, myself, and, um, you know, I've already used them. So, you know, we really appreciate, you know, you going into this and diving deeper into them. And I'm hoping that you know, people will take, you know, Powers and Company up on a, an offer to come talk to them and, and seek to determine whether or not tax credits would apply in their current renovation or in their future renovations. And, you know, give the listeners a, um, a little bit of a knowledge on how to reach you and how to get in touch and, you know, how, how to make that first step. Sure. I mean, we're always happy to talk to people. A lot of the- very often we'll um, receive phone calls from people saying, I have this building on, at such and such an address, and I'm not quite sure if it's going to qualify for the historic tax credits or if it's a historic building. Could you look into it? Because I'm thinking about doing something to the building. So we do that all the time. So we're happy to take a, take a phone call if you have a particular property that, that you own and that you, you anticipate uh, conducting rehabilitation. So. Um, you know, our phone number is 215-636-0192, or you can reach us, reach me by email at Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T, at powers, P-O-W-E-R-S-C-O dot net, Robert at powersco.net. Um, so we'd be happy to talk to you about the project and see if, see if it works for you. Great stuff, Bob. Thanks for joining us today. And, you know, we'll look to talk to you in the future. Thank you, Mark. Hopefully you learned a bit on how you can take part in some of the tax programs afforded to those willing to preserve history. If you're one of those, please remember it's never too late to get your current project approved. I hope you found listening to today's discussion on historical preservation incentives helpful. And if you did, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may also enjoy. You can also follow me on Twitter at Shawzy99 or email me at mshaw at www.landtransfer.com. Thanks for listening to Shawzy 24-7.